Amen. Hey, as we turn now uh, to God's Word, I invite you to open with me to the book of Matthew. Last week we started a, a short series we're doing uh, out of Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this is Jesus' temptation in the desert. And so I, I would love for you to read along with me. Uh, maybe you want to take some notes as you go. Uh, but today we're going to look at the second temptation uh, of Jesus in the desert. So I'm going to read for us Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance now uh, to turn to your word. God, you've given us something that's just absolutely incredible. What a gift that you have given us your word to teach us, to instruct us, to train us uh, in righteousness. And God, to point us supremely to your son, Jesus, who came and gave everything, gave it all for us. So God, thank you for the power we have uh, because of what he's done and the power we have in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today's uh, message will be a, a little bit different uh, than usual. Uh, I just wanted to be like I'm sitting in your living room, uh, enjoying time with you and just sharing a few thoughts uh, from God's Word. And so uh, as we look to this passage, to Matthew 4, uh, we, we see a time where Jesus was tested. And it, it reminds me of a time that I, I had to take some tests that were pretty stressful. I, I took the ACT. Uh, the first time I took it, I was in 10th grade. And that was trying to get a good score to be able to get into college and really needed some scholarships to make that possible. And so I took it 10th grade just kind of to kind of get a feel for it. And I got an OK score. It was fine. Uh, not bad, not great, but it was a good, a good first run. So six, eight months later, I was in 11th grade and really, uh, you know, put some effort into it, tried hard and took the test and took the ACT again and got the exact same score. And that was kind of frustrating. I was like, I, I'm wiser, aren't I? I mean, haven't I gotten smarter? Why have I, you know, it's frustrating. So I signed up for it again a few minutes later. And that time, I think I got like a test book, you know, to prep. And I did some online, you know, studying or whatever I could do to get ready. So I, I could do the best that I could. And I gave it my all. I was really trying. This is my third time taking the test. And I got the exact same score. I, I was so frustrated. I, I put in all this effort. I was really felt like I was I should be smarter. This was more than a year later than the first time I took it and kept getting the same score. Well, thankfully, I had an opportunity. We, we knew somebody that did this testing. And so I did a two-week intensive study uh, after my junior year and had some great teachers, great people. And they just taught me how the test worked. They, they taught me how, what kind of questions to anticipate and, and, and what this is going to look like. And over and over again, I was like, wow, I, I knew this test well enough now that I was like, this is how it's supposed to work. I, I understood the test. And sure enough, my score went up five points, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's out of 36 or something, I think. And so that made a huge impact on my life 
moving forward, and a lot has changed. A lot was made possible because of being ready for that one test. And, and in life, we, we take all kinds of tests, not just academic, right? I mean, the, 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 the sports and athletics. I mean, going out to the first game of the season is a test, or the championship game is a test. If you're, you know, I remember lifting weights, and you would, you would get to a time where everybody works, where you're going to work toward this day, I'm going to max out and try to get the, the highest amount of weight I can lift. Or, or if you've got an interview for a job, that interview is like a, a test, whether or not you, you do well and you, and you get it. Maybe in sales, you know, every, every day, every week, you're showing up, making a pitch, saying, do I pass the test? Am I making the sale I need to make? And more than that, just life, can it? I mean, think, think about your life in the last, I don't know, week, month, year, 10 years. Uh, our life can feel like a series of tests where we're just one thing after another, one trial, one temptation, one struggle. So, so for you, I mean, you're sitting around, hopefully you've got power, hopefully that's not your test right now. But, but outside of that, what, what are the tests in your life right now? How are you being tested? How are you being tried? And, and I wonder, could you, could you understand this test a little better? Could we be prepared for this test? These tests in life that come up, can we be prepared for them so that we're better able to take them on? And as we ask that, I wonder, is there, is there anything good that can come? Are, are there good things that can come from the test we all take? The Bible speaks a lot about tests and trials and temptations, and we don't have to be unprepared sophomores. We, we can know God's Word so that we can be prepared for the tests we face. Matthew chapter 4 is an account of Jesus in the desert, and He's facing trials and temptations. And the key, the key lesson, the key takeaway that we said last week from all three of these, these trials He faces, all three of the temptations from the devil is that all three times that the key refrain that gets repeated is, he says, it is written. It is written. Jesus quotes the Bible. He, he is the Word made flesh, and yet he quotes God's Word as the way to handle the test that he is going through. If you're familiar with this story, then you know that that is it's so powerful to see the way Jesus does that and the way that he uses God's word to fight the test, to, to, to pass the test, to fight the battles he has to fight. One, one of the ways when we think about this story, when we think about Jesus and, and Satan being there in the, the, the desert together, we kind of picture this, these two main characters, this kind of the battle royale, mano y mano. These guys are, are going at it in the desert. But if we, if we back up to the beginning of, the, of, the, of this passage, and I know we, we started in this last week, but I, I skipped over that first verse because I I wanted to save it for how, how we're going to see his second temptation here and how this fits together. If you back up, how, how did Jesus get into the desert? Why, why is he in this situation at all? Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How did Jesus get there? Well, he was led by God. He was led by the Spirit of God himself. If we are going to learn how to take life's tests and what it looks like to walk with God through the test of life, then we need to know this. God tests us for our good, and the devil tempts us for evil. God is the one at work in leading the test of our life, and He does it for our good, while the devil tempts us for evil. Now, now when I say that God tests us, maybe you, you kind of have some hesitancy. Is that, is that really true? Is that even good? I mean, 
it, well, is it true? And is it, is it, do we want him to test us? Why, why would we say that? That seems, I don't know about you, but kind of my first gut level reaction to that is, really? God tests us? Well, it's certainly true if we come to God's word and, and take an honest look. For one here, we just read the spirit led. Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted by Satan in the desert. The devil does the tempting. God doesn't lead towards sin, but God, His Spirit, has led Jesus for the purpose of being tested. And this is not just a, a one-time occurrence in the Bible. We, we saw last week where Jesus quoted back to Deuteronomy, as we'll see again in the second temptation. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says, The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. That's why the Israelites were in the desert, to be tested. John 6, uh, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, he said, where are we going to buy bread so these people may eat? And he said this to test him. Again, Hebrews eleven seventeen. by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Time and time again, we see God is testing his people. And he said, why, why would he do that? Why would he make it hard on them? Well, he's, he's doing it for our good. James 1, 2, 3, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing leads to a, a proving, uh, to, a, to a steadfastness that leads to being complete, to leads to lacking nothing. Our, our faith has to grow. And the only way for us to grow, only way for us to be made more and more into the image of Christ, as, as Romans 8, 29 says, to be conformed to His image, the only way is to be, to be tested. Like, like gold refined by fire, we are being tested. And it's being done by God Himself for our good. It, it is, it's got to be, if we're honest, it's got to be good news that the one who is orchestrating the tests of our life, the one who is, who is at work overseeing all things, it, it's God Himself. Who else would we want to be orchestrating and organizing all the, the hardships? I, I certainly don't want to be in charge of that. And thank the Lord, the devil's not in charge of it. God Himself is the one who's overseeing and orchestrating and organizing the test of our lives. That is good news to us. And we see this in all, all areas of life. I mean, just think, take athletics. I mentioned that a minute ago. Take athletics. You know, maybe the, the, a coach has got a, a new young quarterback who's, who's highly qualified but, but hasn't been tested. We would say he hasn't been tested. He doesn't have game time experience. And so maybe going into the, the preseason and leading up to the first game, he looks at that young freshman and says, you're ready. I'm putting you in. You're our starter. That, that freshman's probably not going to say anything to the, to the coach if he's wise, but in the back of his mind, he may be thinking, I, I'm not ready. I, I don't know. I, I just got here. I, I don't know what all's going on. And yet, he gets put on the field so he has the chance to learn, to grow. You know what? That first game, he's going to take some hits. He's going to have some struggles. He's going to get roughed up. But that's the only way for him to get better. God takes our faith and he brings us through tests, but it's out of love. It's out of a desire to see us grow and to be made more like His Son. God is the one in charge of our circumstances. God is the one in charge of the things that are happening in our lives. Many of you know Dave Moore 
uh, who passed away last year, and he was, uh, one of the, I love some of the things he said. One of the things he used to say was something like, you know, we, we give the, the devil too much credit. Uh, you know, he can't do everything that, that people sometimes give him credit for be able to, being able to do. The devil isn't God. He's not uh, able to, to change everything the way that God can. God's in charge, not the devil. Certainly, there, there are times in our lives where, where we are at fault for our own hardships, where, where our sin, our struggles brought us into the, the trials that we're facing. Maybe it's our, our lack of love or faithfulness or perseverance or, or something that has led to that trial. But God is still in charge of it, but even, even in those situations. But, but many of the hardships we face in life, uh, are, yes, they're the result of a broken world or, or something like that, but, but God is using them even orchestrating them to test us and to grow our faith. And we may be able to see that a little bit better if we, if we dive into this second temptation, this second week as we come through this, and, and see what's going on. So in Matthew 4, 5 and 6, this is what the devil does to, to tempt um, Jesus the second time. He says, then the devil, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You see, God was, was testing Jesus for His own good. He was going to prove, Jesus was going to prove His own righteousness, as we'll see. But the devil takes that moment to whisper something into Jesus' ear, like he does so often to us, uh, of a way of, of, of twisting God's test, a way to get off track, from the way that, that God wants him to go, wants Jesus to go. And now we remember that we said, you know, the devil's tempting. Jesus is being tested by God, but tempted by the devil. So this, this tempting ha- had to be something that, that Jesus would actually want, right? For it to be a true temptation. Jesus was fully man and fully God. So for this to be a true temptation, for him, like, like Hebrews tells us, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So this had to be something that was desirable to Jesus. What about, what about this temptation was desirable to him? Some people read this temptation and think hey, this was an opportunity for Jesus to have a kind of a spectacular you know, display of his power, for him to jump off and the crowds would see him falling from the temple, you know, probably over 150 feet. And if it was the part that was kind of over the valley, another 150 feet down, 300 feet maybe, and to see this incredible feat and these angels come and rescue him and and some people think maybe this is just a, you know, a grand display of Jesus' power. And that's possible. But reading the passage, there's, there's no reference here to the crowds that are watching or, or anything like that. The thing that is referenced is that Satan specifically names the relationship between Jesus and the Father. He says, if you are the Son of God. It's the same thing he said last in the first temptation that we saw last week. Because the devil is quoting God the Father's own words about Jesus. In the, in the verses right before Matthew 4, back in Matthew 3, is when Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus goes down into the water and comes back up, the sky parts and everybody hears the Father's voice over Jesus at his, at his baptism. And he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So what the devil is saying is, uh, it, wouldn't it be nice? This is what I think his temptation is. He says, to, basically saying to Jesus, wouldn't it be nice, Jesus, if you had this big, memorable, miraculous showing that, that God rescued you and intervened 
right here at the beginning of your ministry and, and all that you wanted to do. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice? I mean, if you jumped from up here and then you were falling to what would have been a, a certain death and then God sent, sends angels to rescue you, what, for the rest of your life, Jesus, you would know without a shadow of a doubt that your Father loves you. You would know that He is well pleased with you, for sure, because you would have seen it on display. Yes, we, we know He just said that and we all heard that, but weren't those just words? Wouldn't a great miraculous action better prove the Father's love for you? And oh, by the way, the devil continues, it, I, just, I, I know you just quoted Scripture, so let me give you a verse to back up what, I, what I'm saying. And he quotes Psalm 91 to say that the angels will come and rescue you. Can you, can you hear that temptation? You can, can you hear how that would be desirable to Jesus? That he just heard God's voice and wouldn't it be amazing to have this incredible, miraculous display of power and love? You could see how that would be a, a temptation to, to better affirm the relationship between the Son and the Father. God wants us to grow and so he tests us. The devil wants us to be led astray and so he tempts us. The devil always twists God's words. God, the devil always put, puts things in our ears that, that is something that seems appealing or appetizing to us, something that's desirable, and yet it's not reality. That's not actually what would happen if Jesus jumped from the temple. What actually the devil was asking Jesus to do was to do something far more sinister. But by jumping from the temple and demanding that angels come and rescue him, Jesus would have been saying, everything the Father has done to prove his love for me up to this point wasn't enough. I, I need something more. I need something more to prove his delight in me. Yes, yes, he has done plenty of things. This, this is, if Jesus had wanted to actually jump, he would have been saying, yes, you, God the Father has loved me from the beginning of time. He has orchestrated history in such a way to, to show my, my glory to the world. He has orchestrated so many things. He just parted the skies. All kinds of other people were baptized that day. Only Jesus got God's word spoken from heaven. Jesus would have said, if he was jumping from the temple, he would have said, all that you did, Father, wasn't enough. I need one more. I need one more evidence. Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, to test that will be to say, I don't really believe it. I don't really believe it. And on top of that, by, by demanding something from the Father would be a reversal of the relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus is the Son of God who was sent into the world to do the will of the Father. That is the, the nature of their relationship. Jesus was the sent one. He was the first apostle, sent one. He was there to do the Father's will. He did not come to demand His own will over the Father. He came to honor the Father. Jumping would be going against the very, the very nature of their relationship. It would be twisting it on its head. But of course, the devil doesn't word the temptation that way. He never does, right? He always words it in a way that seems appealing and appetizing and, and delightful and tempting. But Jesus knew what the real temptation was. But what about him quoting the Bible? I mean, Jesus quoted the Bible, then Satan quotes the Bible. I mean, is it just his verse against my verse here? What, what's going on here? This is such an important lesson. It's, such a, it's so important to notice that Satan himself quotes the Bible. Well, I challenged you last week about reading God's Word, and it's worth noticing here 
That just because we know God's Word <clears throat> doesn't mean we know how to interpret it rightly or, or, or that we know the one who, who is the author of the book. Satan knows the Word of God, but he doesn't know God in the sense he doesn't have a loving relationship with Him. So did the Pharisees. The Pharisees could quote verse after verse after verse. They probably had most of it memorized. But just knowing about God's Word doesn't mean we interpret it correctly. Satan, I think, probably deliberately is using Psalm 91 in a very twisted way. Psalm 91 does speak of God's incredible protection for God's children. But it says nothing of creating an artificial crisis that demands God come and bring protection now. Psalm 91 speaks of, of resting on God's promises, on His goodness, on His character, knowing that as we follow God, we can trust Him to meet our needs and to care for us. Uh, ironically, Psalm 91 is one of the ones I've heard in the last couple of years with the pandemic where, where people want to test God with this. But the devil uses Psalm 91 to try to convince Jesus to create a crisis. He is manipulating God's Word. He is not seeking God's heart. When we seek God's heart through His Word, we want to understand it rightly. So be careful. Just because somebody uses a verse doesn't mean they're doing it in the right way. The Father doesn't need to prove His love for the Son, which is why Jesus responds this way. He says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I said this last week, but it's worth repeating how, how incredible this is. Jesus could have said anything He wanted, and yet... And that would have become Scripture. And yet he quotes the Old Testament as an incredible example to us. So in, in Matthew 4, 7, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16, which is from the Old Testament. And that verse in Deuteronomy 6 is a part of, Jesus, a part of uh, Moses' teaching to the second generation of Israelites who had come out of Egypt. And so he's referencing back to what happened to the first generation of Israelites in Exodus 17. Last week, in Ex we, the the part Jesus was quoting was about Exodus 16, where people demanded food. And guess what? In chapter 17 in Exodus, they're demanding water. They, they have not learned to trust God. They failed to trust God to provide water. I said this last week that it's not like God parted the Red Sea and did all, this, all these great things, got them out there and was like, oh, I forgot to feed them. I don't know how to give them water. Like God had a plan and yet they failed and time and time again. In Exodus 17, Moses said, Why do you test the Lord? And again in verse 7 of Exodus 17, he says, They tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord, is the Lord among us? Are, are you kidding me? Can they, is, it, is it even fathomable that they, they could doubt God's presence with them? After all that He had done to prove His presence, they doubted, is the Lord with us? He brought ten plagues on Egypt and yet spared Israel every time. He brought an entire nation through a sea, through the Red Sea, on dry ground. Was that not enough? He crushed the strong army of the Egyptians with that same Red Sea. Was that not enough? He is, as they are complaining about this, He is currently leading them with a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of, I mean, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Was that not enough to prove God's presence? And yet they say, we need one more thing. We need one more thing. I'm doubting your presence, God. I need one more thing from you. It was totally okay to ask God for water. It was not okay to doubt His presence. But before we cast too many rocks at the Israelites as if we hadn't sinned, 
Do, do you feel that same temptation in you? I, I know I do. I, I know that I, I'm constantly saying, I need, I need proof, God. One more time, I need proof that you are really with me. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord, don't, don't we have plenty of evidence that God is with us? Don't we have plenty of evidence that He loves us and cares for us? If you are a Christian, can you look back and say from God's Word, man, God, God created this, this whole world. He created all this. Wasn't, wasn't that enough? What, wasn't it enough that He has sent His Son into the world to show us who He is? Wasn't it enough that, that God divinely orchestrated all the, the writers of this, of this Bible over thousands of years so that we can know what He's like and understand His Word? Wasn't it enough? If you're a Christian, wasn't it enough that God uh, amazingly, because this isn't true for everybody in the world, amazingly God sent somebody who knew the gospel, knew the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that, to preach that to you, wasn't that enough to prove God's love for you? Once and for all, you know what settled the debate at the end? There is no debate after this. That settled God's love for His people? The cross. That was enough. If He only did the cross, if He only paid for our sins, if He only sent His Son to die for us, that would be enough. And God continues to show love to us time and time again. If you're a Christian... It should be enough to recognize that what God did 2,000 years ago through His Son, Jesus, on a cross, He then applied to your life when He he took a dead heart, a heart that wasn't beating, a heart that wasn't alive, and He made it alive. That proves once and for all what the cross had accomplished, that it's been applied to you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is with you. Whatever test you're facing, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever trial you're in, you never have to doubt His love again. The cross settled it once and for all. And the resurrection settled once and for all that He has the power to overcome any darkness, any evil, any destruction of this world. It may not work out in the time we want it to. It may not work out in the way we want it to. But we can trust that He is good and He is loving and He is with us. If you have turned from your sins and put your trust in Him, you're a child of God. And the devil may try to twist words and manipulate things and send bad things your direction to get you to doubt that. But it never stands up to the testimony of God's Word of what He has done. He loves you and He cares for you and He is with you. If we demand God to do one more thing to prove His love, we're saying the cross wasn't enough. My salvation wasn't enough. It's in those moments that, like Jesus probably did, we need to hear God's Word at our baptism. Jesus had just come out of the water some 40 days before, if this is on the last of the 40 days that that Satan's giving this temptation. So 40 days ago, Jesus heard the audible voice of God that said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Maybe you're, you're further from your baptism than 40 days, but maybe you can think back to that day if you're a Christian and you say that, That was proof. I I displayed my faith to the world that Jesus has come and He saved me. So remember, coming up out of the waters of baptism, you are a child of God. And if if you haven't been baptized, if you don't yet know the Lord, 
then, then maybe you, I mean, out of all the crazy circumstances that are happening right now, that, that during a snowstorm, we are, we are recording this so you could hear this this morning on, on a snow day. Maybe God is using this. Maybe God is using this to call you to faith, to say, Jesus, Jesus loves you, and he loved you enough to die for you. And maybe now is the moment where you can say once and for all, I know God is with me because he sent his son to die for me. Maybe that's what's going on even now. When we ask God for one more thing, we're, we're doubting that love. And it, it's good and it's right to ask God for good things. Don't mishear me there. It's, he tells us he wants, the father loves to give good gifts to his children. But what happens for us so many times is that when we don't get it in the way we want it or when we want it, we, we question God's love. And the cross settles it. The cross settles it. We don't have to test Him. We don't have to ever doubt His love for us. God doesn't need to be tested. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What a, what a strong word for us. We need to be tested. God does not. God does not need to be tested. When we go through something hard, it is completely okay for us to, to grieve, to be upset. It's even a God, God is, you read through the Psalms, David wrote some pretty harsh things back to God questioning him. But we have to come to a place of repentance and a place of trust once again, where we say, like Job did, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've got some unanswered prayers right now, it's okay to keep praying those. But don't let those unanswered prayers become ways that the devil tempts us to doubt what God thinks of us. When we doubt, when we, we don't trust him, we're putting God to the test. We're, we're, we're failing in that commandment to trust the Lord and to not put Him to the test. As I, as I thought about what it's like for, for us to test God and how, how ridiculous that is, a, a far lesser il illustration would be, you know, picture a, a married couple who's been married decades, 40, 50 years, and they've been faithful. They've been just a, a model of, of love and care. And yes, they have their imperfections and yes, they get on each other's nerves still, but they've They've made it decades, 40 years of marriage. And yet, imagine how just heartbreaking it would be if one of the spouses just, just started doubting, for no, for no real reason, but started doubting the spouse, their, their spouse. Maybe the husband's doubting the wife, and, and he hires a private investigator who's following the person around and tapping her phone and listening to, just to follow up to make sure she's not being unfaithful with no evidence that she hasn't been. But he sends this investigator. Of course, the investigator comes back. It's like, she's, she's totally faithful, dude. What are you doing? But just by testing her, he proves that he, he doubts her love. He doubts her love. We may come to God and we, we're saying, I, I, I doubt you, God. I need any proof one more time. We shall not put the Lord our God to the test because he, he is faithful. He is faithful. And he has proven his love for us. Many times we, we may doubt God's love because we don't, we don't know Him like we should. We, we don't understand who He is and what He has done for us. So let me encourage you in this as we're, we're taking this, uh, this, this temptations from Matthew 4. This is really our theme for this month as we're starting a new year. This is my encouragement to you. When, when we're tested, we can better trust God if we know His Word. When we are tested, we can better trust God if we know His Word. God has proved His character to us time and time again. But some of us just, we just don't know His Word well enough to, to be able to trust Him. And, and that's okay. It's okay to be in that spot and to admit it. 
and to ask God to help us to come to know Him better through His Word. Again, not to be a Pharisee or to be like Satan where we just know it in our minds, but to know it in a way that we truly love Him. If we dive into, his God's, in, dive into God's Word, we're going to find that he, he loves His people so much. And He loves His people like a, a, an earthly father loves, loves our, like we as fathers love our children. Like Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him who He loves as a father the son in whom he delights. We, as God's people, we trust that he's at work, he's testing, he's pushing. And we don't always, it's not always comfortable, but he's doing it out of love. God's word reminds us, and we can trust him in the trials. So I encouraged you last week to take a step forward and commit your commitment to God's word. Whether that's being committed, like you're, you're watching this, you're listening to God's word now, being committed to our 1030 worship services, being committed to studying God's Word in your own time, or, or maybe finding a group of people that can help study God's Word with you, a discipleship group, so you can study God's Word and hold each other accountable. And as you get to know God's Word better, you'll better and better trust Him. As you study God's Word, you're going to find over and over again people who were tested, who were pushed, who were put in some really hard, difficult, uncomfortable situations, and God continued to prove faithful. Do you know the story of Job? Job is, is, was an incredible man of faith at the very beginning of his story. And God spoke his name. God brought his name up to Satan. And we read that and we're like, why, 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 would, why would God mention his name? We don't know the full picture. We don't know the full story. But Satan gets a, the permission from God to take everything away from Job to see if Job would still worship him. And he does. Satan then tests again. He wants to tempt him and try to lead him astray. And God gives permission. And so Satan brings boils. It hurt, hurts his skin to where his body aches. And yet Job still says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After some 40-odd chapters all the way through the book of Job, God restores all that Job has gotten and even more to show God's faithfulness. Job was tested and he experienced God. At the beginning, Job said, I had heard of God, but now I have seen the face of God. He knew God better because of the test he had gone through. Do you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter 3? I mean, why, you, we, we read that story. Why, why would God allow these three faithful Hebrew boys to be in a, in a foreign, pagan, awful land like Babylon? Why, why would God allow, why would God send this king who's going to, Demand that they bow down and worship this statue every time the music plays. Why would God test him like that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as faithful worshipers of the one true God, refuse to bow down. And so they are brought before the, the, the king, and they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they say, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship you. Following God, they were willing to follow God all the way to the point of, life, point, point of giving up their life. They're thrown into the fiery furnace, and it's so hot, people around the furnace die. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out, and not just alive, but not even smelling like smoke. And the king himself worships God. Do you know the story of Job, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you know the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis? Somebody that, that was hated by his brothers because he was his dad's favorite. They took him out, they were going to kill him one day, and they graciously decided instead just to sell him into slavery. God is with him, and so he works his way up in, the man, in, a, in a man's house named Potiphar. 
And he continues to prosper there until Potiphar's wife makes a false accusation against him. And Joseph is thrown into jail. God is with Joseph in jail. And so he interprets a dream for the king, for Pharaoh's cupbearer, that he's going to be restored. And it's an incredible moment of God using Joseph. And yet the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. Years down the road, Pharaoh has a a very strange dream, and that's when the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so they bring Joseph before Pharaoh. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream about a a famine that's going to be seven years long. And God uses Joseph. Joseph, who had been through all these trials, God brings Joseph to the second in command under Pharaoh to, to organize this incredible plan to save thousands and thousands of lives. At the beginning of the story, you think, why why would somebody who God is with be suffering in prison for all this time? And yet God saved thousands of lives, including Joseph's own brothers who come to him, fearful that he's going to punish them for their wickedness. And Joseph tells them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Over and over again in our lives, we, we are tested. And maybe our life doesn't get written down in a story that we can read from beginning to end and understand the test sometimes like we can in the Bible. But we can trust the same God of the Bible is, is alive and with us today. And He is using whatever tests we may face for our good and for His glory. God is at work. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can go through a test in our lives and be prepared. We can be prepared by God's word to continue no matter what our circumstances tell us. We can affirm God's holiness and his goodness. He never sins. He never makes us sin. We can affirm his sovereignty and his lordship, that he's in control and everything is fully within his power. And he has every right to put me to the test however he so pleases. But we also can affirm his love, knowing that whatever he's going to do, is out of love for us. We can be prepared for the test knowing the devil is evil. He doesn't have the authority over life and death like Jesus does, like God does, but he does have the power to tempt us and try to lead us astray. So be on the lookout. He he prowls like a roaring lion. We can be prepared for his temptation. We can be prepared for the test so that we don't question God, but we question ourselves. We test our own motives, desires of our heart, and we can ask God to help us grow. We can repent of our sin and be prepared for whatever test may come our way. Know God's word so that you are prepared. When we're tested, we can better trust God if we know his word. The final example worth knowing to be prepared is the example we've already seen in Matthew chapter 4. God's word tells us that very very similar to the way Israel failed in the desert, Jesus didn't fail. We fail, Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus was the only one who's been through his whole life and was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And the wilderness wasn't the last time he was tested. The last time he was tested on this earth when he was up on the cross and people cried out, why don't you just bring yourself down? Why don't you call down angels? Just like Satan said to him about calling down angels to rescue him from falling into the pit. They said, you can call down angels to save you from the cross. And he could have. And yet he continued in obedience to the Father, willingly submitting his will to the Father's will so that our sins could be paid for. 
The greatest way to be prepared for any test you may face is to know that Jesus has already passed it. He's already accomplished it. And His righteousness becomes ours by faith. That's something we know, not just by our experiences, though our experiences may testify to it. But we know that because we know His Word. When we're tested, we can better trust God if we know His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the chance to worship with our faith family over uh, this, uh, this live stream even now. God, I thank You for Your work in our lives. God, thank You that You have given us opportunities to know You and to be known by You. God, we have been tested so many times in life and in faith, and we have failed. And so, God, we confess that to You now. We confess our failure to You, that we have not trusted Your character. We have not trusted who You are. God, instead, we have we have doubted you and we have asked you to prove yourself time and time again. God, truly, you are faithful. You are love. You are goodness. You are mercy. You are grace. And we trust in you. God, may uh, we go through whatever trials are before us even this week, not doubting your character, but just seeking your will and seeking to know you better. God, thank you for this chance to be in worship. And we pray that you'll bless each family, each person that's watching this even now, and that you would guide us to trust in you better today. In Jesus' name.